7: This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, we're going to have to do a a quick uh, substitution here. I had planned originally to talk with uh, debut novelist uh, Dion Martin, and we'll try and Rescheduled, but uh, she didn't check in as as expected. So, there. Uh, hopefully, there's nothing seriously wrong, and it's just one of those scheduling glitches. But uh, we do have a conversation I had uh, this week with uh, Dr. Cornelius Grove. He's uh, back on the show again after. Um, let's see if I have any notes on this handy. Um, Well, it's it, it, his book is uh addresses the the comparisons between the way schools um, are managed and operated the way education works in the United States versus the way it works in Asia. He's done a lot of research on it. So, I'll just uh I'll just turn it over to uh, Dr. Cornelius Grove to explain a lot better than uh than I have. And uh, and then we'll continue on with uh, today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. Um, My guest this hour holds a Master of Arts in Teaching from Johns Hopkins and a Doctor of Education from Columbia. He uh, has now become... uh, somewhat known as um, an expert on uh, the cross-cultural differences that lead to varying learning outcomes for children. And uh, he has a book um that we've talked about before. He's been on the show before. Uh, The book is A Mirror for Americans, What the East Asian Experience Tells Us About Teaching Students Who Excel. He is Dr. Cornelius Grove, and he joins me by phone. Cornelius, welcome to the show.
5: Well, Tom, uh, I think it's welcome back. I'm really very, very happy to uh, be able to continue our discussion. I I reviewed our previous discussion uh, earlier this morning, uh, because, you know, I, it's on the web, and um, I was just reminded, uh, if you don't mind me saying so, I think you're my favorite interviewer, and here's <laughs> why, because your, your your shows are, or your segments or podcasts, whatever they turn into, are, are long, and you ask good questions, and you listen, and you give me time to talk, and... Um, well, that's wonderful. The last interview I had, I was given six minutes, um, six. And um, on top of that, uh, when they launched into the interview, they asked me something that had absolutely nothing to do with my book. So um, that took up a minute for me to sort of try to deal with that. <laughs> so I, I I very much appreciate your getting back to me.
4: Well, I, given the fact that... Um that i'm not an expert in anything i I always like to let the experts steer the conversation um but but let's let's talk about this a little bit um especially in light of the pandemic and and um this idea that people are pushing to get schools opened up, some are saying it can be done safely, even some you know fairly credible people are saying schools can be opened safely um how how does the handling of the pandemic here in the united states compare with what is happening in in asia with schools uh
5: Tom, the answer is I haven't got the slightest idea.
4: Okay, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Cornelius, and <laughs> I I'm,
5: really don't know. And
4: I'm not trying to steer away from the book, but it is something people are talking about. Oh yeah, and and I wonder if there are lessons to be learned in that regard, as as well as some of the things that you point out in your book.
5: Uh, the only thing I could say, which isn't much help, is that as you know, there's been a lot of concern about. The ch- children, uh, as a result of, uh, having to learn online, and I guess it works for a few of them, but I think the evidence suggests that it isn't working all that well for most of them. So there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, getting back, you know, catching up speed and, and, um, you know, accelerating learning and so forth. And, uh, only in that respect ha- would what I have dealt with in a mirror for americans be relevant and it might be very relevant because the east asians learn academic subjects they learn them faster and they learn them much better than our children do so maybe they have something you know in in the way they think about it in the values that they underlie their processes with maybe there's something in there that we should be paying attention to
4: um, and has, do you think, and, and this is purely speculative Cornelius, but do you think this, this pandemic has been as disruptive, um, in other parts of the world like Asia as it has been here in the U S and, and, um, does that mean we can still consider ourselves on, in some ways, uh, uh, at least a level playing field?
5: uh... i'm gonna have to plead ignorance again what you need to understand and what i hope i want your listeners to understand is that when i write a book on a topic like this or my immediately preceding book which was about uh... the home situation of students um, because i came to believe as a result of reading hundreds of research reports that in terms of children learning well the home is even more important than the school um, well, and I think reason, we
4: talked about that before, Cornelius, because yeah. I've always believed that parents play uh, an, an equal role in children. At least. Um, yeah, getting educated as teachers do,
5: as at least yes. Um, but the research on which I rely was not done in the last twelve months. The research on which I rely. Uh, That research has been going on since 1970. Uh, I tried very hard to confine myself, as long as I had good information, I tried to confine myself uh, to research that's done ever since the late 80s up through maybe 2015. So there were no pandemics in Asia at that point, nor were there any here, uh, certainly not to the extent that we're experiencing now. So I there's really, I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in Asia currently. Um, you know, if I saw something in the paper about it, or, or in one of the educational publications, like uh, Education Week that I subscribe to, I would, you know, I would be interested in that. But that's not, it's not really my focus. So this is why I'm saying I, I really, I really don't know in terms of the pandemic specifically, what lessons we have to learn from asia other than the fact that they seem to have be doing something that gets children to learn more thoroughly than we do and you know how how come is that that's that's what i that's the question i'm asking
4: um cornelius the um the research that you reviewed um on, on which you base your book and, and previous books i suppose yeah. is um is it is it showing trends is is education in the US trending downward in some in 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 terms of uh, quality and outcomes
5: well uh, or is that
4: even a fair way to put it I, you know maybe i'm asking the question wrong
5: um I don't know how fair the question is. There would in, certainly, in terms of the United States, there is some data about that, actually, easily publicly accessible. Uh, and uh, you know, my my experience of of the, um, I think this is what, what I'm talking about is NAEP, the National um, Assessment of Educational Progress. NAEP. This is a government thing that they try to keep track and uh... periodically they give uh... american kids and only american kids uh... they they attempt to assess how well they're doing in math and reading and history and you know and many other topics uh... we don't you know if you look this is our own government's data and and anybody who looks at that i think is going is going to be astonished at how poorly, our kids are reading the mark, making, you know, really understanding it. Um, and some, some years, uh, some of these go up, and some years, and then other years, they slide back down, and um, over a long period of time, I don't know how much movement there's been, but there hasn't been a lot, and never in in recent decades have our children been doing really well in any subject Uh, let's uh,
4: talk about that a little bit because i hear educators talk um a lot critically uh often about the um uh, about measuring uh, about the tests that measure um academic performance how are our measurements different in the west versus the east and specifically in the U.S. versus uh, Asia, as you attack in I, your book,
5: what I can say in general is that one of the reasons that I think the 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 East China, Japan, Taiwan, and so forth uh, are ahead of us is that they is that they don't flinch from you know testing children in the extent to which they have learned specific academic content. And they don't, and when they report the grades, the, the grades are not considered to be sort of the private and, you know, um, uh, that I think there would be a huge outcry in the United States if um, every student's grade on an important test were, were, pope, were posted on the, the high school wall uh many parents and children I think as well would get very upset that they're being shown in real, you know in relation to their friends, especially the ones who didn 't do very well um and this in asia this just isn't this isn't a concern these everything is posted everything is known and and people children understand that if they want to compete they have to work harder um so I think that uh, and i think I can't be sure about what I'm saying here, but I think in, the, in uh, East Asia, um, they, you know, either you get it right or you get it wrong, and I, I suspect that they make relatively little use of multiple-choice questions in which one of the questions is correct, of course.
4: More about what the East Asian experience tells us about teaching students who excel from the author of A Mirror for Americans, Dr. Cornelius Grove, straight ahead.
1: Old Fashioned Radio for a new generation. The Tom Summer Program. The Tom Summer. For grand.com, the time summer for Grand
3: Everybody's doing a brand new
5: dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
7: I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development
0: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
4: More about what the East Asian experience tells us about teaching students who excel from the author of A Mirror for Americans, Dr. Cornelius Grove, straight ahead. One of the chapters uh, in your book uh, deals with uh, how classroom lessons are delivered in In fact, and one uh specifies mathematics, one of your chapters yes, yes. Um, but uh, what are some of the differences in the way information is shared or taught?
5: I think one of the main things is that uh, as pointed out in that chapter and a companion chapter, which looks at other other topics such as reading that the that the information is presented in a way that looks at it from different points of view, um, and that, and, and another thing that happens, especially in mathematics, is that is that the kids are asked before a lesson is taught, or, or before the teacher proceeds the children are very often asked to come up with their own answers and they can do this individually they can get together in spontaneous little groups this and sometimes they're given as much as fifteen minutes to, to try to figure it out um, this is sometimes known as the lesson or the, the problem of the day and. And the teachers, especially in math, and I go into detail about in the uh, about this in the book, will uh, do their best to relate what is being learned to other other aspects of math and um, let me think about this for a minute um and and the uh, and another thing that i think is very important two two other things that are very important is one that wrong answers aren't just sloughed over wrong answers are not a cause for embarrassment wrong answers are important so that the uh, so that children get a better grasp of correct thinking or rational thinking or mathematical thinking
4: or or at least the opportunity to learn from mistakes exactly to to pick those things apart and and see where it went wrong
5: Um, this is exactly it Uh, and we tend the research shows that we tend not to do that in the united states um Our way of teaching math has been compared. One foreign observer (coughs) uh, looked at it and compared it to a quiz show. And in other words, (laughs) the idea is, you know, the the teacher is more like the quiz master, and he's looking for the correct answer. And so a kid gives the wrong answer, and he just said, "No, next." Yeah, they just
4: get the buzzer.
5: Yeah, (laughs) and um, so so the emphasis is on computation. Accuracy and not on understanding the principles of mathematics, and this brings up another thing that's that's uh, common. Let me just take a sip of water here, and that is that in um, in algebra and geometry and other branches of math, there are actually mathematical rules or mathematical principles. Research found that these tend to be sloughed over in the United States. The teachers deal with them as though they are, you know, interesting things in the background. Uh, you should be aware of this, uh, and so forth. In in uh, East Asia, no. Uh, you you solve a problem. You state the rule, and you state it completely. And correctly, I give some actual examples of this that uh, came out of the research in the book. Um, and it's not treated as a nice to have; it's treated as an essential. We don't want to do that in the United States because we think it's going to put children off. We think it's they're going to say, "Oh, I don't even want to study math anymore if I have to mem- memorize these dumb rules." Uh, well, <laughs> so we accommodate that in many ways. While in Asia, they're saying. You know this is important. You, you know to understand math, you have to get these things right. Math isn't. You know it's not. It's not free fiction. It it operates on principles.
4: Well, don't we tend in the in the U.S. and not just in uh, in education, but but in our everyday lives to sort of uh, shy away from those things that we consider. Uh, inside baseball that that there are some things that are just too much detail to grasp so we just gloss over it
5: uh, i think there's a great deal of this um i'm a little reluctant to say right off the bat if i think that's a general characteristic of american culture but, i only put uh, it in it i only be.
4: put it in that context cornelius because in a lot of the the shows and interviews and and roundtables and so on that I do, we talk a lot about some of the details that go into things, whether it's the electoral college or um, drawing district maps, and, and saying that, you know, the average voter really isn't interested in the inside baseball. They don't understand this stuff very well. And I wonder if there isn't some tendency to do that in education as well.
5: Uh, I, w- I would agree. I don't know that I could point to any research to back me up, but that, that is certainly in line with, with my sense of American culture. And, of course, American culture is something I've been very interested in professionally for quite a few decades at this point.
4: Um now I know this really deals more with your previous book, the aptitude myth. But what about aptitude and attitude? Um I, I know um, there's there's this this myth that Asian kids are smarter; they're better at math, um, and and it's just sort of accepted and uh, um, kind of used as a reason not to compete.
5: Yeah. Researchers, um, um, th- this this stopped some years ago, or probably more than a decade ago. But in the past, researchers have tried to, to determine whether Asian children or Asian people actually are born better at mathematics, and they've you know they've used various sophisticated ways to try to. Determine this and compare uh, East Asians or other Asians with uh, Americans, and um, the answer is they never could find anything except there was one case, and I don't remember exactly what this was. It is, I think, it's actually in uh, one of my books or may- maybe in the in the notes. I don't remember. Uh, excuse me, they they did actually find that there was a very slight advantage in one type of mathematical memory. It wasn't a huge advantage, but it was something that had some statistical significance. Uh, Otherwise, they have come up empty-handed again and again and again as they looked at all sorts of different things and not, not just mathematics. The reason East Asians are better as research, and this has a lot to do with the research that I relied on, which is a huge body of research. We're talking, I estimate, over a 1,000 published research reports over the past 50 years. Um, East Asians work harder. That's it. They're more persistent. They're more driven. They put more effort into it. They respect that effort. They feel it's their value system says that academic knowledge is useful and important and worth lifelong effort. And this is really all of my books (laughs) basically are about that. They work harder.
4: My guest is uh, Dr. Cornelius Grove. He is uh, the author of a book called A Mirror for Americans, What the East Asian Experience Tells Us About Teaching Students Who Excel. Um, Cornelius, I've been trying not to cover a lot of the same ground that we talked about before, um, closer to when your, your book came out. Um, But but I want to ask now, because of the uh, pandemic and and you touched on it sort of parenthetically about kids learning at home, you know, online and and some parents even deciding to do homeschooling in the midst of the of the pandemic and things are likely to change um, as as we pull out of the pandemic. Uh, And classrooms open back up. There will be some kids that don't end up back in those classrooms. The point that I'm trying to make is, is your book really kind of geared toward academics? Or is this something that parents, especially those parents who want to take on the responsibility of homeschooling, can benefit from?
5: Well, parents who want to take on the responsibility of homeschooling have got to pay some attention to academics. Um, and by academics, let's, you know, but just be clear, we're talking about mathematics, we're talking about reading, we're, we're talking about the STEM subjects. STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Of course, engineering probably not so much in the lower grades. Um, we're talking about history, we're talking about geography, and so forth. Um, So we're we're not talking about art, we're not talking about music, and and we're not talking about physical education. Um, I I would say that if parents are keeping kids home and in order to homeschool them, they have to... (laughs) I don't see how they could avoid worrying about academics. And insofar as my book, The Mirror for Americans, uh, addresses how (coughs) the uh, East Asians... Approach and think about, and the values that they underscore attention to academics with. Then I think it it would be relevant to some extent.
4: And is it? Um, I don't know if philosophical is is the right word, but is there just a a different way in which learning and and teaching um, is regarded in the U.S. versus uh, Asia?
5: yes the fundamental difference and this i think is, is, is again uh one of the bottom one of the most fundamental f- findings of the research and that those are the findings i can com- try to convey to the general public in my book is that the value system of that's prevalent in east asia and we're talking about different countries and different cultures china and japan have different cultures to some extent but they're all in east asia and there is quite a bit of similarity among east asian cultures especially when it comes to thinking about children children's learning and schooling (coughs) excuse me um... and all of these cultures come out of what's sometimes called the confucian tradition the Confucian tradition uh, basically says that uh, formal academic learning is very important. It is a route that the individual can take to excellence, to being a very fine human being in everyone's eyes, somebody who contributes to the community who is upstanding? You know all of these good things, and it was believed for thousands of years, even before Confucius, in East Asia and Asia generally, that the learning that comes from books is is a is a sure pathway to personal excellence not only in one's own eyes but in the eyes of one's fellow so the idea of studying and just to put it really directly to studying the kind of information that you find in books always had high regard it has high regard in homes and it has high regard in schools and as a matter of fact it's not only that it has high to actually learn it has high regard but here's a, here's a very important uh corollary of that the actual work the effort the visible effort it sit, it takes to sit and study books or articles or printed printed matter and to learn it to the point of mastery is highly respected. This is seen as a very good thing to do. It is admirable. It is honorable. It is good with a capital G. And that is a very different mindset from what you have here in the United States, historically. It's, it's really quite different.
4: Cornelius, uh, again, the title of the book is "A Mirror for Americans: What the East Asian Experience Tells Us About Teaching Students <coughs> Who Excel," and I right. can't help wondering why the phrase "teaching students who excel" and not "teaching students to excel."
5: Um, I think that getting—that's a good question. You're getting getting back to Uh, the idea of how much formal learning is respected in Asia. Um, You know, one one of the points that I make in my previous book, The Drive to Learn, is that young children come to school more receptive to classroom learning. They have expectations about learning from experts. Learning. Are from you talking?
4: About, are you talking about children in Asia or children all yeah. over the
5: world? I'm talking about children in Asia, or, okay. and it wouldn't totally apply to Asians. I mean, however, Asians is a, Asia is a place from which we have just tons and tons of research that has looked at these sorts of things. So. Um, the if the equation is not that the students the, uh, we tend to i think we tend to to say and I really made this point uh pretty forcefully in the drive to learn we tend to say it's all up to the teachers you know uh right if if students if students excel it's because of good teaching um i don't know it, it, and you know what? What that looks like, we'll we'll leave that aside. What is good teaching? Well, that's a that's a big question. Uh, but you know, it's up to the teacher. And um, if the student doesn't excel, then somehow there's been poor teaching, or maybe the textbooks are off, you know, and so forth. Uh, as a matter of fact, the for for you know for people to learn, you don't actually need teachers. Some people are self taught. Uh, abraham lincoln comes easily to mind uh, teachers are not absolutely essential what is essential is determination and perseverance on the part of the student teachers are an aid and they can be a very effective aid and many of them are a very effective aid to young people's learning but at the end of the day they're not absolutely essential So what the student, the attitude, the mindset, the values that a student comes, shows up at the schoolhouse door is pretty much half the story. And so since we're talking about Asia, where student, where young people are more likely to show up at the schoolhouse door really, ready, willing, and able to learn, and eager, indeed eager to learn, I think that Uh, that probably uh, explains uh, the uh, subtitles that we're talking about students who excel Here here we have some students who are excelling what are the reasons for that well part of the reason is what goes on in this in the classroom and in the school but part of the reason is what goes on in the student which ultimately is a product of the home of parenting and of the culture Whose values are informing the parents?
4: Well, unfortunately, Cornelius, uh, I'm almost out of time. My guest is Dr. Cornelius Grove, uh, author of uh, A Mirror for Americans What the East Asian Experience tells us about teaching students who excel. And uh, Cornelius, as you know, I always like to give guests, uh, as we're wrapping up, an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website?
5: Oh, do I have a website? Each <laughs> of my three... Thank you, Tom. Each of my three books, uh, The Aptitude Myth in two thousand and. 13, The Drive to Learn, which is about, you know, East Asians, how East Asian students, uh, how they're raised at home in 2017, and last year, 2020, A Mirror for Americans. Each of them has its own website. And all of my website's uh, URLs or their their titles are the title of the book, .info. Now notice we're not. I didn't say .com or .net. I said .info. So it's the Aptitude myth .info, the Drive to Learn .info, and a Mirror for Americans.info. And each of those websites has a, um, a a contact page, which you can send me an email. Uh, and I, I actually have three email addresses. <laughs> one <laughs> is at uh, a mirror uh, Amer for Americans dot info, as one is at the drive to learn dot info, and you know, it's like that. So, yes, and I am very responsive, believe me. I, I love to get, uh, I really love to get and respond to uh, queries or questions or even um, criticisms. From people who have some familiarity with my book, so you know, let let me let me hear from you.
4: Well, Cornelius, it's always great talking with you, and thanks again for spending uh, some more time with me on this. And I hope we get a chance to do it again.
5: I would love to, Tom. You're a great interviewer, and you you really get me thinking. All right, take care. Thank you, Tom. We'll have bye
4: bye. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
3: Charms
1: Indoors
3: Indoors Indoors Take it away. Hello there citizens,
1: Darkwing Duck here And every time I'm in Flint Fighting crime, I always Stop by the Tom Sumner program Don't forget, stay dangerous Darkwing Duck out
6: While we've been staying safe at home Scientists have been on a journey The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at Michigan.gov slash COVID A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.
5: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, I want to say thanks again to uh, my guest this past hour who uh, uh, had uh, written the um, the book, uh, A Mirror for Americans, What the East Asian Experience Tells Us About Teaching Students Who Excel, Dr. Cornelius Grove. That was an interview I did with him yesterday, which I substituted for my planned, my scheduled guest, who uh, was a debut novelist. Um, and let's see if I've got my notes handy. I wanted to fess up a little bit because uh, the reason that I didn't have her on the show this morning is because I didn't call her. I didn't realize that she wasn't calling in. I didn't find it in my notes until after the scheduled time. So welcome to live radio, folks, and uh, a world uh, in which um, I screw up. But Dean Martin has uh, written a, a very fascinating uh, novel. It's her debut novel about a uh, biracial woman struggling to find love, family, and faith in the shadow of lies. The book is, uh, is called um, The Wool Over Their Eyes. And I've uh, reached out to Dion and apologized for not uh, placing the call this morning as uh, we had scheduled. And uh, I'm in the process of trying to reschedule. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that because it's a fascinating story and uh, a a great book and a great first-time effort. So um, with that in mind, um, during this segment, we still have uh, scheduled our... uh, Arts and Entertainment segment uh, at the top of the hour, 11 o'clock, as we do each and every Friday. And a real interesting one today with Alan Hewitt and One Nation. And uh, we'll hear new music from them, and we'll talk about Alan Hewitt, who was uh, born in Petoskey, but uh, went to Berklee School of Music, and his first call for... um, Movies and television, and he's played with the Moody Blues. We, we've got a lot to talk about with Alan. But for this segment, we're going to pay tribute uh, again to um, the fact that today is Jazz uh, Awareness Day or Jazz Appreciation Day, and uh, and keep it in the. We're going to keep this segment in the education genre a little bit. Starting out with this uh, old standard uh, performed by. The late great uh, Joe Frayer, and uh, on drums and and vocals, and on keyboards, uh, the late great Dave Kozel.
3: You say I've got a lot to learn Well don't think I'm trying not to learn Since this is the perfect spot to learn Teach me tonight Starting with the ABC of it Right on through the XYZ of it Help me solve that mystery of it Teach me The sky is a blackboard So very high above you Should a shooting star go by I take that star to write I love you A thousand times the sky one thing isn't very clear my love. should the teacher stand so near my love graduations almost here my love teach me Very high above you Should a shooting star go by I'd take that star To write I love you A thousand times across the sky One thing isn't very clear, my love. Should the teacher stand so near, my love? Graduations almost here, my love. Teach me. graduations almost hit my love teach me to die they say you can't teach an old dog a new tricks
0: of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Programme. Actually, I did rather well myself this past Christmas. The nicest present I received was a gift certificate, good at any hospital for a lobotomy. Now, now if I may digress momentarily from the mainstream of this evening's symposium, I'd like to (laughs) sing a song which is completely pointless, but is something which I picked up during my career as a scientist. This may prove useful to some of you someday, perhaps, in a somewhat bizarre set of circumstances. It's simply the names of the chemical elements set to a possibly recognizable tune. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, ambericium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthrum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, and protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. (laughs) There's yttrium, aterbium, actinium, rubidium, boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I knew you would. I hope you're all taking notes, because there's going to be a short quiz next period. <laughs> There's holmium and helium and hafnium and erbium and phosphorus and francium and fluorine and terbium and manganese and mercury, lithium and magnesium, dysprosium and scandium and cerium and cesium and lead, praseodymium and platinum and plutonium, palladium, promethium, potassium, polonium, tantalum, tenesium, titanium, tellurium <clears throat> and cadmium and calcium and chromium and curium. There's sulfur, californium and fermium, berkelium and also mendelevium, einsteinium, nobelium and archa radon xenon, zinc and rhodium and chlorine, carbon, carbon, cobalt, copper, tungsten, tin and sodium. <laughs> These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard. And there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
1: old Radio.
0: Tom Sumner
1: oh, yeah.
5: Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom Sumner